If you would just, uh, just remain standing for just a moment, um, I do want to just mention uh, our church is growing, which is a wonderful thing, and we do need folks to serve in next-gen ministry. Um, so in this moment, as we're making a promise to walk with these precious families, I want to encourage you, if God's tugging on your heart um, to, to serve in next-gen, we could definitely use you. And you can take the Connect card that's in front of you during the sermon or sometime afterwards, just write next-gen and your name on it, email and you can give it to one of us or take it to Connection Point or in one of the green offering boxes. And we sure would appreciate um, you stepping into that. That would be a wonderful thing. Let's turn our attention to the scriptures this morning as we continue our study of the book of Judges. And we're going to be in Judges chapter 3. And I want to start with a portion of reading from Judges 3, beginning in verse 6 where we left off last week and ending in verse 11. So just for context, the Israelites are in the promised land, but they, they haven't been faithful to God. They haven't driven out uh, the inhabitants there. They're living among the idols. And then we'll pick it up right here with the narrator as he continues the story in verse 6. And they, the Israelites, intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelites' daughters were given in marriage to their sons. And the Israelites served their gods, and the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot they forgot about the Lord their God and they served the images of Baal and Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel and he turned them over to King Cushan Rishathaim and Aram Naharam, which means Mesopotamia. And the Israelites served Cushan of Mesopotamia for eight years. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kines. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan of Mesopotamia of Aram and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. God's word to each of you today. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and uh, it's already been a great morning of worship. Thank you for being with us today, and for those of you watching online, we're grateful to have you joining us as well. We've been in a study of the book of Judges, and if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have it on your phone, I want to encourage you to open up to Judges chapter 3 as we continue our journey today. Um, if you're looking for the book of Judges, go to the, the beginning of the scriptures uh, in Genesis and just start turning right, and you're going to bump into this book of Judges, which is a fascinating study in the life of Israel. It takes place over the course of about 325 years, approximately 1300 BC to about 1000 a, a, a BC, and it covers the life of these judges, these many deliverers or redeemers who God raised up for the people of Israel. And we're two um, chapters in, so if you've missed any of it, you can go online um, and catch up with us. And we produce a study guide, by the way, that you can use individually or as a family or as a group. And we've got a little outline today when you leave at uh, each of the little tables on the way out. If you want to follow along, all the scriptures and the readings and the sermons for the fall are listed on a sticker that we're handing out. So, so be sure to grab one and follow along with us. What we've seen so far in the first two chapters of the book of Judges is a double introduction. Do you remember this? We think that Samuel was the narrator, the collector of the accounts, these episodes of the, of the book of Judges, and he starts with this double introduction. And what we see two chapters in in the introduction is what I'm calling a holy tension. 
there's a tension that takes place between the people of God and God's standards. So God's commands, if you will, are captured in a covenant promise that he's made with them at Sinai. And it's basically the standard for living. Now, before you think that um, God said, hey, you gotta be this way before I'm in relationship with you, the 10 commandments and God's uh, standard for living came after God redeemed them. So God put the 10 commandments in place to keep a free people free. And you need to remember that. God basically put up a fence around his people to say, you need to live within these boundaries because this is where you're gonna find life. And so we see these commands that God's given his people to keep free people free. And what we see is a tension because God's people continue to fall short just like us. And they get on this proverbial ride, remember? that is the book of Judges, this, this cycle, if you will. And here's the cycle. We introduced it last week, right? The people rebel against God and his commands. God is angry. And we talk about a righteous anger because God wants something for us. And he's angry because we're not listening to his commands in the way that he wired us up to live and his standards. He allows oppression by uh, the people's enemies. And we're gonna see that again today. The people in their humility and in their brokenness cry out to God. They repent, which means to turn. They turn to God. And then salvation or redemption, rescuing comes through a given judge, a human judge in the book of Judges, these various men and women that God raises up. And then there's peace, there's shalom. That's the Hebrew word, which is a holistic peace, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, entirely. And then the judge dies. And then guess what happens? Round and round we go. And that's the book of Judges. And I think if we're honest this morning with each other, which this is a place where we can be, many of us are on this ride as well. And I wonder as you look at that cycle, which one of those parts of this sevenfold judge cycle do you most relate to right now in your life? As you walk in here this morning, as you watch online, where are you? Which one resonates with you? Well, there's two parts of this holy tension, right? There's God's commands, his standard, his holiness, which God doesn't fudge on or lower just because we break his commandments. But then there's also God's grace, right? We know that God loves us. The Hebrew word is hesed, with a hesed love. What does hesed mean? It means unfailing, It never gives up, it never runs out. We can't even imagine that kind of love. But that's the kind of love that the eternal God has for each and every one of us, a hesed love. So we continue to rebel and break God's commands, his standard of holiness. God continues to love us and pour out his grace upon us. And we see this tension back and forth happening in the book of Judges and actually all throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and God's redemptive history. People rebelling and falling short of God's standard, of which we all do, and God continuing to be faithful to his people. And what we'll see specifically here in chapter three is that God allows his people to experience the consequences of their said choices, but only for the purpose of causing them to repent and to turn back to him. Because God never cast off his people, he never abandons them, but he graciously, and sometimes, watch this, sometimes severely through a severe mercy, wants to bring them back to himself. And here's the bottom line for the teaching today, and I hope you won't forget it. God doesn't want to pay us back. He's not interested in paying you back for the ways that you fall short of his commands and his standard. 
God is always interested because of his grace and his unfailing Hesed love of getting you back, right? Of bringing you back to himself, of pulling you back into relationship with him. God isn't in the business of paying you back. He's, he's in the business, his redemptive business is to bring you back to himself. And ultimately, Jesus was the righteous judge that accomplished that for us. And every single episode of the judges, of which we'll start today, our first episode, points us to Jesus, the ultimate judge. So let's jump into the scriptures because today we're going to walk through the first two episodes, if you will, of the many judges uh, during this period of Israel's life. And we're going to see this holy tension, this judge cycle at work in the life of Israel. And our first two judges, there's actually three, one judge only gets one verse in verse 31, but we'll cover the first two, Othniel and Ehud, right? Anybody named Othniel? Come see me afterwards. Ehuds, any Ehuds in the house? All right, we'll talk about these, these two folks. These were the first two judges in Judges chapter three in these, these episodes. And we're gonna continue in these stories all throughout the, the fall and our study together because we see Jesus through each of them and we learn amazing, relevant principles today of exactly what was happening then and how God was faithful to the people then, even in their faithlessness. And these first two judges, Othniel and Ehud, in Judges chapter three, if you're there in your scripture, reminded me of a movie Um, that I saw in the 90s. Some of you didn't see the 90s, I know in here, but I'm gonna, uh, these first few rows, I'm gonna tell you about a a movie that I watched when I was in the 90s. You remember this movie? Twins? You guys are like, no, who are these people? Okay, this is Danny DeVito on the right and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Who would become the governor of California, believe it or not, right? And we see these two guys here uh, and they're twins. That's the premise of the movie. And one got like, all the good DNA. Do you remember this? You can guess which one, right? And then one got sort of the leftover DNA. And it's this story of, uh, you know, their journey together and one kind of being the, the, the perfect person and, and kind of overtly, you know, all the good things and then the other one having, having the leftovers. And the twist of the story in the movie is that in the end, Danny DeVito the one that has the, the leftover actually becomes the even bigger hero of the story. And so our first two judges in the book of Judges, it sort of reminds me of this because one of our judges that we'll meet today has pedigree, right? And the other one has this impairment. Uh, one is an insider, is a blue blood, and the other is an outsider, And in the end, God actually uses both of these judges for his purposes. And you could argue at the end that the the latter judge, the one who's the outsider, the one who's the lesser than, is actually used in an even more vivid way to point us to the ultimate righteous judge of Jesus. And so before we jump into both the episodes, even just in thinking about this, the two different types of judges here, one an insider, one an outsider, one that has all the overt markings of a righteous man and judge, one that does not, I wonder which one you relate to. I wonder as you hear these stories today, which one you're drawn to. You know, do you, maybe you feel today, you, you, you grew up in a righteous family, maybe you've been in church your whole life and, and you feel like, you know, I, I, I really do belong here. I mean, I really do feel like you know, all of my life has been pointing me to this. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but it can turn into something bad. It can turn into a, a, a word that can be kryptonite 
to the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and the word is pride. Where you feel like, I, de- I deserve to be here. I deserve to be used. And of course, I've got all the markings and the pedigree of someone who God would use. Or maybe you, you feel like Danny DeVito, right? You feel like, man, I, I feel lesser than. I feel like an outsider. And even when I come to church, it's hard for me to feel like I really belong here. And by the way, you do belong here. But you, you may feel like I, I don't. And I don't, I don't feel like God could, could really use me. And before we jump into both of their stories, I just want to say that the gospel of Jesus and the cross specifically speaks to both of these postures, right? Because the gospel reminds me of my deep need for grace. When I look to the cross, I'm reminded that Jesus not only was willing, but he had to die in my place because he did for me what I, what I could not and would not do for myself. So if I come in thinking that my religiosity, my background, my pedigree, my insiderness, any of that stuff qualifies me when I look to the cross, when we look to the cross together, we're humbled and we're reminded that God's grace is sufficient. And that there's nothing that I could do to earn that. And even if I feel like I belong and I've got the background and the pedigree and all the things, I'm humbled when I look to the cross. Are you with me? And maybe you feel like I'm the outsider. I'm the person that doesn't have the pedigree. I'm, I'm the person that would, you know, would be the last, you know, worst case scenario kind of thing for God to use. I can't even imagine God using me. And when I look to the cross, it not only humbles me, but it reminds me, if that's your posture today, it reminds me that I was worth dying for. If you feel unlovable, if you feel unusable, if you feel like you're on the outside, when we look to the gospel, the truth of Jesus, and the cross specifically, we're reminded that you were worth it. That God looked at you and said, I'm willingly and joyfully going to the cross on your behalf. And this is the beauty of the gospel, guys. It not only humbles me in my pride, which we're all susceptible to, because if we're honest, I think we can relate to both in different moments of our life. We can feel prideful, we can feel lesser than. Um, You know, pride and insecurity, it's weird, are actually two sides of the same coin. You say, how can that be? Well, pride and insecurity have one thing in common, me. If I'm prideful, I'm looking at myself and I'm going, you know, I'm feeling, feeling good here. I feel great about myself. I feel like I got it all together, right? If I'm feeling lesser than, I'm usually looking at myself and going, wow, how could God ever use a rotten person like me? I just feel so, you know, embarrassed and whatever. And in both ways, I'm making it about me. And here's the beauty, everyone watch this, of Jesus and the cross and what we believe together is that when we look to the gospel, when we look to Jesus, we're humbled in our pride, at this, and at the same time, we're encouraged at the love of Christ and his grace for us. Uh, Tim Keller said it this way, I'm so, see if you relate to this, I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, right? That humbles me. I'm so flawed that Jesus had to go to a cross and die for me, and I'm so loved that Jesus gladly died for me that he gladly did so going to the cross. So before we've even jumped into these episodes, we're reminded of Jesus, the perfect righteous judge, and what God did for us. And when we come into the text, and let's do so now, look at verse uh, seven in chapter three, 
we see in our, in our holy tension, in our judge cycle, right, that Israel is in the, this moment where they're forgetting about God. And they're doing evil in his sight. They forgot about the Lord their God. They served the images of Baal and Asherah poles. So what is Baal? Baal was a god of fertility. Asherah was uh, the female version of that. And so they would take these wooden poles and different images and, and worship them. And if you can imagine just tangibly, they, um, they dismissed the true living God. And instead they worshiped wooden poles. And you just go, guys, how in the world could you trade in the living, true God, all-powerful God, for something so finite, something so small? But don't we do the same? The people did evil in the sight of the Lord. And how did they do evil in the sight of the Lord? Look at the text, verse 7. They what? They forgot. Right? Last week we talked about forgetting. This is really important. It's not about not knowing it's about not following what you already know. Let me say that again. When we see this in the context here that they forgot about the Lord, it's not like, I don't remember who God is. I don't know any of the commands. I'm not culpable. I, I, I just, I forgot. I don't even know. No, you, you didn't act on what you already knew. That's what that word means. And oftentimes, right, we remember the things that we should forget. And we forget the things that what? that we need to remember. Are you like that? The people of God forgot, meaning they stopped acting upon what they already knew. And that's the danger for each and every one of us. You know, our hearts are like a bucket of water in many ways on a cold day. And if they're not constantly stirred, do you have that image in your mind? A bucket of water on a cold day. If you don't go out and you're not constantly stirring it up, it's gonna do what? It's going to freeze over. And when we come to the truth and we're reminded of the truth of who Jesus is, of his redemptive story for us, it stirs our hearts and reminds us of his love and his grace and his unfailing mercies. And our hearts are warmed again to God to follow after him in every area of our lives. But when our hearts are not regularly stirred by the gospel, they can freeze over. And so that's why we have to preach, we have to come to settings like this to hear God's word together and to celebrate God's grace together. But not just here, every day we have to preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves of God's grace to begin to live out the truth that we believe in our hearts. Our hearts are so prone to wander away from God. Listen to what Peter, the apostle Peter, uh, said to his audience when he's writing one of his letters, Second Peter chapter 1, he says this. He says, I will always remind you of these things. What are these things? He's talking about the gospel, the love of Jesus. I'm always going to remind you of these things, and, and check this out, even though you know them. And you go, well, why do I have to be reminded of what I already know? Well, we just saw why. Because it's so easy to forget, not up here, but right here. And to not follow through on the things that we already know. And so Peter says, I, I need to remind you and you've got to remind yourself every day as you come before God, as you get into his word, as you sit in circles with other believers of the truth of God. Because it's so easy to forget and to begin to follow things that are not of God. This is what's happening in Israel. The people have forgotten. They're not following the things they know. And they're beginning to worship Asherah poles and Baal because, listen guys, our hearts are made to worship. And so if you're not worshiping the one true God, you're going to find someone or something else to worship. 
and you'll become what you worship. You're formed and shaped into the image of what you worship. God designed us to worship him alone and to be shaped and formed into his image. But when we're not, we'll worship all kinds of other people and things and we'll begin to be formed and shaped into their image. And this is the tension. And so what does God do about this? We'll look at verse eight, Judges chapter three. He turns them over to their enemy and they live under his evil oppression for eight years. King Kushan, they live under his oppression. And what happens in that time? Well, they cry out, look at verse nine. When the people cried out to God, the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer. You can put in your margin of your Bible or if you're taking notes on your phone, judge. He literally raises up a person, a judge to save them, to bring salvation to them. And this points us again to the gospel and the judge, the righteous judge who's going to come and save each of us. But in this instance, in the book of Judges, as this cycle begins, his name was Othniel, and he's the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. And we meet Othniel in Judges chapter one, actually. And we don't know a ton about him, but here's what we do know. We know that his name means, if you're taking notes, God is my strength. And again, he's the first judge, Othniel. His name means God is my strength or God has helped me. And we see this cycle that when the people of God in their humility and in their oppression, in their trouble, they cry out to God and what does God do? Because he's faithful and he's gracious, he listens to them and he raises up a judge or a little deliverer. If you're taking notes, just put judge and then just a dash and put deliverer because that's what it, that's what it means. Othniel was a, if you look at chapter one and go back and read about him, he was a wholehearted disciple. He's, he's mentioned as one of the few people that actually follow God with his whole heart. And as God gives the example of Caleb and his family as a miniature for all of Israel and what it means to be faithful and to wholeheartedly follow after him, Othniel is mentioned there. He's actually the nephew of Caleb. And Caleb is this mighty faithful warrior and his whole family is as well. And so Othniel is a part of that. And by inference, Othniel, our first judge, is the protege of Caleb and continues in, you know, in that way of faithfulness and, and um, courage as a warrior for God and, and standing up for the things you know, of God. And in that way, Othniel is... Um, you know, a pedigree, right? You know, he's got the pedigree to be the first judge. He's actually, this is interesting, he's the only judge that doesn't have any external flaws that are mentioned in the book of Judges. It's not that he's flawless, he's not. Um, but he, there, there's no overt flaws that are mentioned for Othniel uh, in the book of Judges. Again, he, he belongs. Uh, by inference, we see like this would not have surprised people that God would raise him up to be the chosen deliverer. And the, the thing that matters the most is verse 10. Look at it with me in chapter three about our first judge, Othniel, that the spirit of the Lord came upon him, right? It, uh, some of your translations um, translate this, that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. I love that. That when the people cry out for deliverance and for help, God sends his spirit um, to encourage and to raise up um, a judge, and he becomes Israel's chosen judge and rescues them. So uh, real quickly, and we'll go to the next episode, Othniel, what we learn about him is that God sends three different things in response to this holy tension between God's standard, his commands, and God's grace. Uh, the first thing he sends, which may surprise you, is God allows and sends trouble. 
right? Um, God actually um, encourages, that's the word that's used, strengthens um, the, the evil king uh, to oppress his people. And you go, whoa, why would he do that? Well, it's not to pay them back, but it's to what? It's to bring them back. And he knows that the only way that they'll be humbled and turned to him is if they're oppressed and if they remember their need for God. And so sometimes God sends and sometimes God allows trouble from this broken world, not to pay you back, right? But to bring you back to your senses and to get your attention. And that's what happens. But what's the second thing God sends through Othniel? It's an example of leadership. God sends leaders to his people. In this uh, uh, instance, he sends a judge, a a little mini redeemer or deliverer, a, a mini Jesus to come and to save the people and represent them. And here's the third thing he sends that we see in in verse 10. In this first episode, God sends his spirit. That the spirit of God rushes upon Othniel and encourages him and empowers him for the work of salvation, for the mission of God, his redemptive plan uh, for his people. So God sends trouble, um, God sends leadership, and God sends his spirit. Now just for a second, What does that remind us of in the New Testament? You know, we talked about the book of Judges is actually a mirror in reverse in in its two introductions, chapters one and two, of the introduction of Genesis. That Judges is actually the uncreation of God's people as they disobey him. And so the Genesis account begins in uh, the world being unformed and in chaos and ends uh, with God forming and shaping the world and resting in Sabbath under the Sabbath king. In Judges, it begins with order under the king, will never disobey you, will always follow you. At the end in Judges chapter 21, it's everyone doing what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. All right, let's go to the New Testament. Judges mirrors Genesis in its introduction. Judges mirrors the book of Acts in in reverse in what happens throughout the accounts and the judge cycles. Every judge cycle, every time on the ride, it gets darker and darker and darker. The circle gets smaller and smaller around God's people. In the book of Acts, it's just the opposite. We start in the upper room in Jerusalem and we're going all the way to the ends of the earth as the gospel expands and revival comes. Isn't that amazing? And what does God bring to bring about revival in the book of Acts? Trouble, right? Acts 8.1, the church is persecuted and when the church is persecuted, it what? It scatters. And so you may have heard it this way, if you don't have Acts 8.1, persecution and spreading the, you know, spreading the church around, scattering them, you'll never get Acts 1.8, you know, going into all the world and preaching the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So God uses trouble to spread his church. What else does God give to the church? Ephesians 4, leadership. God raises up apostles, people to, to lead the church, and we see that in the book of Acts. And what else does God give in the book of Acts? His spirit. At Pentecost, God sends his Holy Spirit, not just to help uh, his followers, but to actually indwell them and empower them. And so the Bible says that we become the temple of God where the presence of God reigns and we live under his rule and reign. And not only that, we're empowered by his rule and reign in our hearts to go and share his kingdom mission message in all of the world. That's pretty cool. So Judges, if you're taking notes, it mirrors Genesis in reverse in the creation account. 
But then as we go through the judge cycles in each of these episodes, it, it begins to mirror the book of Acts in reverse and the way that revival spread throughout the book of Acts through trouble, leadership, and the giving of God's spirit. And the, and the uh, judge accounts, every time we go around, the circle actually contracts. It gets smaller. And it's sort of revival in reverse as God continues to preserve a remnant of his people through the acts of the judges. Okay, verse 11. Uh, Othniel, he's faithful. Um, he, he rallies the people. They go to war. Um, they overcome the evil king. And there's peace. Look at verse 11. In the land for how many years? For 40 years. For a generation, there's peace. But here's the problem. Peace is not the end of the judge cycle, is it? If you go back and think about those, that sevenfold judge cycle, there's peace, there's shalom, right? But what comes next? Unfortunately, the end of the judge cycle in the book of Judges during this time frame was death. Look at the passage. Othniel dies and the people get back on the ride. And they go around and around again. If only, everyone watch this, if only we could have a righteous judge that would never die. If only that could happen. Instead, what we see before Jesus, again, this is a millennia before Jesus, is these judges who God uses for a season of time, but they're broken people and they're gonna become more and more broken, we'll see throughout every episode, and they die. And when they die, the people forget God, meaning they start living in a way that doesn't match up with what they believe in their hearts and their minds. They forget the truth of God and we start all over again. So look at verse 12. Once again, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord and you're going, guys, come on. How could you get on this ride again? Nobody wants to get on the friends wood and do this again. And they get right back on it. They forget and God gives them over to King Eglon of, the, of, of Moab. And because of their evil, um, Eglon brought some of his friends, the Amorites and the Amalekites, and they turn and they take the city of Jericho. Do you remember that city? It was uh, the site of a huge victory for the people of God under Joshua's leadership. And now because of their rebellion a generation later, the city falls, right? And Eglon takes that with all of his friends and he subjugates Israel this time, not just for eight years, but for 18 years and then guess what happens? Look at verse 15, Judges chapter three. The people of God cry out. It was through trouble and oppression that their hearts were humbled and they were reminded of their need for God. So they cry out to the Lord for help. And God raises up another rescuer, a redeemer, a little mini Jesus to save them. And his name was Ehud, right? And he was a left-handed man. How many of you are left-handed? All right, Ehud was a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. And the Israelites, they sent Ehud to deliver them uh, and to deliver specifically their tribute money, their tax to Eglon, the, the, the evil king in the city of Palms of Jericho. And just before we go further into his story, in verse 15, uh, we see again this cycle again, the people of God turning back to God and they cry out for help. And I just wanna remind you, that there's a prayer that God longs to hear more than any other prayer from each of us in our own little judge cycle as we forget about God and we, we rebel against him and we, we cease to live in the ways that we know uh, that we should. Does anyone know what it is? Just one word here. You got it, help. That's the prayer that God longs to hear more than anything else from you. Help. And even though we, let's go back to our holy tension, God's standard, his commands, right? 
and God's grace, even though we break God's commands over and over and over again, God can't resist his people. Even when we're faithless, Paul reminds us he's faithful. He can't turn his back on himself. He loves us too much to abandon us. And so he longs to hear that one word prayer for each of us. And maybe that's what you came here today that the Lord has for you. That you're in a situation, in a tight spot, in a relationship, in your work, whatever it might be that you're facing this week. And what God is longing for you to do is to hit your knees and to cry out help for him. And I'm not sure how he's going to answer that prayer, how the situation will be resolved. But more than anything else, God wants your heart to be postured back to him. Because he wants to bring you back in relationship. And that's how he uses Ehud here. He was the, he was the right left-handed man. All right? God used him in an incredible way. But Ehud was an outsider. Right? Othniel was an insider. It made sense that he was a judge. All the people would have gone, that makes sense. He was from the tribe of Judah, which was the first tribe. Uh, what tribe is Ehud from? Benjamin, who, that was the second tribe. Uh, Judah is the, the lineage of David, the lineage of Jesus. Benjamin is Saul. You can see all this playing out in God's redemptive story. And so Ehud was, was seen as lesser than. Uh, he had a physical impairment, as the Bible listed here. Left-handedness not only meant that you were seen as lesser than, but it may have been actually something physically that he couldn't even use as left hand. We don't know. But he was known for that. And we see a couple different times in the scriptures, being left-handed, it's not now, for those of you who raised your hand, of course. But culturally, somehow it was seen as lesser than. I remember my grandmother, who's in heaven now, telling me she was left-handed. And I have a twin sister and she's left-handed. And I remember uh, my grandmother telling me when she was growing up in, in, in grade school, when she would write with her left hand, uh, the teacher would hit her hand with a ruler to, to get her. And so she would write uh, right-handed, but she was actually left-handed. So it wasn't that long ago, even culturally, that somehow it was seen as something that was different and, and somehow because it was different, it was lesser than. And so Ehud lived with this as well. He was a surprising choice, not just because of his lineage, but because he's known as being left-handed or lesser than or some, having some kind of an impairment. But I love what Rick Warren says, because if, this, if you identify with Ehud and just you feel lesser than or an outsider or whatever, um, I love what Rick says. He says, in God's garden of grace, um, even broken trees, especially broken trees, bear fruit. And we see that through the life of Ehud an outsider, somebody that, that wouldn't have been the choice, that maybe didn't belong, that, that people would have gone, really, this, this, this is what you have for us? And yet God uses him in an incredible way. Again, Othniel was the leadership type. He came from this warrior faithful family, uh, Caleb's family. He, he came from God's first tribe, Judah, and, and Ehud doesn't. Um, and I wonder how you might feel, quote unquote, left-handed today. I wonder if there's a way that you enter into this space where you go, I feel lesser than, or I feel like God can't use me, or I feel like because of something I've done or something I am, that God wouldn't look upon me and raise me up. I wonder um, when you've seen God in your life use someone or something that was unexpected for his glory. Can you remember that? Can you think about a time in your life maybe where God used you or someone else and it really blew you away because it was totally unexpected. You never saw that coming and yet God used them in a great way for his glory. That's the story of Ehud. 
It's captured in verses 15 through 30 in chapter three here. I'm not gonna read it verse by verse, but this story is really known, if you go read commentaries on it, as a literary masterpiece. In uh, its irony and in its innuendo and its vivid descriptions, uh, it really is something. And so Ehud goes before King Eglon to take the people's tribute. Remember, they're in subjugation to him and they had to pay a tax that was crippling. And so Ehud was elected as the deliverer. You know, God raised him up through his spirit to represent the people. So he goes before Eglon and he's so, um, you know, lesser than in the eyes of other people that they didn't even check him like security wise to come into the presence of Eglon, this evil king. And again, like the way that he would have been been lesser than or had an impairment, um, most right-handed folks would wear their sword on their left thigh to be able to grab it, right? But Ehud, who's left-handed, wears his sword on his left thigh. And so when he comes into the presence of the king and his security, they don't check him, right? And so it's actually through his weakness that he's able to smuggle in a weapon before this evil king. And he asked for a private audience with Eglon, the king. And here's the thing. And by inference, we know that, that it was so unexpected because the king goes, I mean, sure, you can, I'll dismiss all my security, everybody. This guy can be with me because he's not a threat to me. Um, he was seen, you know, as such a, um, a non-threat, such an outsider. God never would have used him in that way. Certainly he's not gonna do anything or, or be capable of doing anything to the king. So the king dismisses everyone and they're by themselves, right? You can go read this story for yourself. And um, this is what the scriptures say, okay? Uh, Eglon was a, was a big guy. The scriptures say he was very fat. That's what, that's what they say, okay? And you go, well, that's kind of rude. Why would the scriptures say that? Well, it, you could see it as rude, um, or you could see it as he had gotten fat off of the tributes of Israel. So it was a physical manifestation of the subjugation of God's people. So as they brought tribute and, and all these gifts before the king, he used that to live this lavish lifestyle. And so we were in this room, just go there in your mind's eye for just a minute, with Ehud, our unexpected judge, deliverer here, and Eglon, the evil king, and Ehud says, I've got a message for you. And it's God's message for you. And he's like, yeah, well, go ahead and tell me. And Ehud takes the sword from his left thigh and plunges it in to Eglon. And the Bible says that it never came out. Like the fat on his body absorbed the sword, right? And Ehud escapes. And when the king's men come in, they see that, that, that he's dead. And by that time, Ehud, Ehud is gone and he's rallied the people and they de- defeat the Moabites and they have peace for 80 years, two generations because of Ehud and his courage, right? I wanna encourage you to go read the story for yourself. This unexpected judge and this unexpected way that God used as the people cried out to deliver them from evil. And this reminds us as we finish here, of course, as every judge episode does of Jesus. And you go, how does a left-handed judge remind us of Jesus? Well, Ehud points us to the most unexpected deliverer of all. Another left-handed person that no one was looking for or expecting to come from where he came from. That came from poverty, that was born in a manger. In fact, Isaiah says about him, check this out, there was nothing in the appearance of Jesus that we should desire him. 
uh, he was despised. Do you remember this? Isaiah says he was rejected by other people. You feel rejected sometimes? Maybe you feel rejected today and you feel lesser than. Jesus was rejected, lesser than, looked down upon, unexpected. But moreover, just like Ehud, Jesus achieved victory alone. Othniel rallied a group of people, an army. Ehud did it on his own. Jesus does it alone on behalf of his people and they don't help him in any way. He does it all himself. And just like Ehud, Jesus crushes his people's enemies uh, through his own, this is amazing, his weakness. That it was actually through, as Paul reminds us about Jesus, it was through weakness, perceived weakness of the cross, through death that Jesus brought life. And it was through weakness, the perceived weakness of Ehud and his lesser than physical um, impairment that God actually used to accomplish his task, to rally his people, uh, to bring him glory. This is how the apostle Paul said it. Let's finish right here. In 2 Timothy chapter four, Paul's nearing the end of his life and he says, you know, my life is gonna be poured out like a drink offering and there's gonna be days that come and and I think we're living in those days now that Paul was writing about 2000 years ago where people will not give attention to, to solid sound teaching. Uh, but they'll follow, just like the Israelites did, they'll for, for, forget God and they'll follow all the, the idols of the world. And Paul kind of goes on and then he finishes here. And now for me, the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which, look how he describes Jesus, which the Lord, the righteous judge, connecting it back to judges, will give me on that day of his return. And the prize is, he says, it's not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. In other words, everyone who follows Jesus today, as we look forward to Jesus's return, we're going to Jesus, will be rewarded by the righteous judge who, check this out, will never die because he defeated death. And what do we need? What does the judge cycle, every single one of these episodes that we'll cover together remind us? We need a perfect righteous judge and we need a judge that will never die. And we got that in Jesus. Bottom line today, God doesn't wanna pay you back. God's not interested in paying you back for the ways that you rebel against him. God is interested from start to finish throughout the scriptures, his redemptive narrative in bringing you back. To Christ be the glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you today for your great love, your, your hesed, unfailing love to us. And we praise you today, we thank you today as your people for the wonderful things that you have done for us. We offer today ourselves as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving. And we do sing joyfully about your glorious works and acts. God, would you take our hearts and seal them Seal them for your courts above as we live for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen, amen. As we respond together, let's sing in the words of this great hymn. Will you stand as we sing together?
Today, we're going to continue next week in our study of the book of Judges with the story of Deborah from Judges chapter 4. So I hope you'll come back for that, maybe invite someone with you. If you're interested in following along with us and reading ahead and seeing where we're going uh, for the rest of the year, you can grab one of these um, guides on your way out. They're at each door. So just gra- uh, grab one and follow along with us or hand it to someone who needs to be here uh, and be a part of this. Just before we go, a couple of ways to get connected here at New City if you're looking to do so. Uh, please stop by Connection Point uh, right in the courtyard. We've got some teammates that would love to tell you about our church and how you can get connected here today. If you'd like prayer for something going on in your life, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, you can fill out the Connect card right in front of you with a prayer request or go online, newcity.us prayer. We've got a team that prays every week and we'd love to journey with you in that way. And then giving for us is a part of worship. And so um, if you call New City your home, um, if you're a part of our mission to help people find and follow Jesus, I want to encourage you um, to give in response and worship today. And you can do that in the green boxes on your way out at every door uh, or online as well. If you're visiting with us, please don't feel obligated to give. We'd love this service to be our gift to you. uh, And we hope you'll come back. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a benediction as we go today? Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon each and every one of you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week 
fill you with his grace, his mercy, his unfailing love. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you, New City.